Everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses, we all on our telephones. With the texts and the tweets and the beats. What he said, she said, can't even follow the three. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too. With my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, Lavelle, hit me with it. What is your grand theory about why the Twins can't compete with the Yankees? Um, I hate to I hate to admit or even acknowledge the possibility of some sort of Yankee mystique, you know. But this this dominance has now lasted through three different administrations. Okay, the Twins are thirty nine and one sixteen against the Yankees since two thousand two. Oh. All right, that's a that's a two fifty two winning percentage. Under Ron Gardenhire, winning percentage was two sixty nine. Under Paul Molitor, the winning percentage was two fifty nine. Under Rocco, the winning percentage against the Yankees one eighty two. This is absolutely remarkable, it's stupefying, mystifying, any kind of fine that you want to come up with. Um, and the Twins are five thirteen winning percentage against every other team since 02. Against the Yankees, it's horrible. So. I, yes, you go into New York. Yes, they got a higher payroll. Yes, they usually have superstar players that the Twins don't have. But they're, they're, they weren't hitting that well going into the series. They had scored five runs in their previous four games. You know, they got guys batting 180, you know, in that lineup. Um, but <laughs> the Twins can't get it done against them. And Aaron Judge is, you know, taking steps toward history, trying to chase down Roger Maris. And uh, the Twins are in the way. Um, I mean, the stuff that's coming out in New York, uh, the twins are penicillin for whatever ails the Yankees, you know, um, it, it's just frontal now. It just, it's like, it's like the sun rising and, and setting in every day, you know, that the Yankees are going to dominate the twins and it's, it's baffling and it's sad for a twins fan. It's uh, torturous. No doubt about it. And I have some theories, but the, and I'll, let's get, well, let's get into the theories. First, let me introduce the show. He's Lavelle Neal. I'm Jim Suhan. Roy Smalley's off this week. This is our chin music show. This is our baseball show at talknorth.com. We recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. It's just the easiest way to listen. You can also follow us on tw- Twitter at talknorthpod to see the shows as they are released. We have a lot of shows, uh, including the Cheryl Reeve show, John Millay's show, Jeff Diamond's show. Uh, we just continue to grow talknorth.com and we appreciate you listening. And thank you to our sponsor, Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show at talknorth.com. So I think there are baseball reasons for the Yankee dominance. Uh, number one, as you said, payroll disparity, uh, mm-hmm. the ability to go out and get frontline starting pitchers in free agency. The ability to go out and get good players in free agency, the ability to uh, sign veteran players that not every team can, can sign, uh, which frees them up by giving them prospects that they can then trade for, you know, for other players. I mean, there are a lot of base, there are a lot of financial reasons the Yankees should be better than the Twins, no doubt about it. The baseball, inside baseball reasons, the Yankees usually have 
veteran pitchers going up against relatively young twins lineups and they just have a little more savvy, a little more ability to get you to chase to 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 work you over and vice versa the twins usually rely on command control pitchers and if you're not going to get calls against the Yankees especially in Yankee Stadium then eventually you have to come over the plate with less than fabulous stuff and it's going to get hit by very good hitters those are all the those are all the reasons i can think of but when you get to you broke it down Lavelle the numbers aren't bad the numbers are ridiculous the the numbers are inexplicable and when you when the numbers are this bad and have been this bad for this long regardless of the personnel regardless of the managers then there's something else going on and that's where the human element comes into play and there the it's gotten to a point now where the twins are spooked by seeing pinstripes absolutely and you know the Yankees are responsible. They have they, a lot of the, the Twins' eighteen consecutive playoff losses have come at the hands of the Yankees. And I will, I, I do understand that. You know when were the Twins ever favored in any of those matchups against the Yankees in the postseason? Um, but eventually, the odds are going to say it's going to be your day one of these days, and it, it just hasn't been. And if you think about this going back to two thousand two, you know think about the Twins players that have been around for that. Um, that's Johan Santana when he was dominant in a ace pitcher. That's Frankie Liriano, who was dominant before his elbow blew out. That's all-stars like Justin Morneau. MVPs like Morneau and Maurer. All-stars like Torrey Hunter. Um, a lot of talented players through the uh, down the pike for the Twins. Despite this, um, they have just had their issues. Uh, yes, and you, you wonder. It, it can't be mental because so, so many different people have played. That would be, it'd be great to add the number of Twins players who have played the Yan- Yankees since 02. See how many people have been affected by this dominance, um, but uh, you just—it's—it's it's hard to explain, man. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's weird, and it's baseball. It's one of the stranger runs of dominance over a team, maybe in sports history. Yes, and and all the things we're talking about in terms of the factors, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, the Twins have been fairly competitive. You know, on and off during the stretch, mm-hmm. and some of their better teams have been victimized by the Yankees, and they even won the first game of two playoff series in the Yankee Stadium, two thousand three, two thousand four, and that didn't translate into anything. It'd be bad enough if the Twins had only won forty percent, thirty eight percent, thirty five percent of the games, but twenty five percent. Now you're talking about that's what a that's what a a double A team would do against a ma- another major league team. And you know what the thing, Jim? I thought highly. I mean, the, I was convinced the Twins were going to win the division back in that stretch of ball in was it May or June when they went to Toronto and I think they took three out of four against the Blue Jays and they beat Kevin Gosman who was pitching really good. And, and then the Yankees came to town and they got to Nestor Cortez in the first game. I can't remember. I think it was Jamison Taylor who started the second yep. game. They got to him and then. They hit five home runs off Garrett Cole in the third yep. game of the series, and they still lost two out of three. And I, I think that third game was when they were leading until like the seventh and blew it, and that was another bullpen disaster. But I came away from that going, okay, the Twins can battle with good teams here. And um, I didn't say they're going to win, but they can battle. So I'm convinced they're going to win the division, and, and we'll see how the playoffs shake out. So even when they lost, they lost two out of three to the Yankees that week, I, I – felt optimistic about this team's ability, you know, to win the central and, and maybe win a couple games in the postseason, but it has slowly diminished it. And yeah, they, they got like 17 players out right now, you know, 
Buxton, we still don't know when he's going to play again. Uh, Polanco. I mean, it's definitely not their best lineup, but the Yankees have injuries too. You know, um, I, 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 it just seems like it, it looks like uh, the, the twins are just kind of dwindling down here and um, they're running off fumes and it's looking ugly right now. No doubt about it. Uh, and I was looking at some numbers. So the twins played surprisingly well early. They were 27 and 16. Mm-hmm. I thought they were one of the better stories in baseball. Buxton was healthy enough. And since then, they're 41 and 51. That's, wow. They're just not a good team. They're, they Now, maybe if they got completely healthy, they would be a good team. Uh, with you know, We know what the numbers over the years with Buxton lineup versus Buxton out of the lineup are. They're ridiculous. This year, uh, 48 and 44 when he's in the lineup, 20 and 23 when he's not. Uh, you know, Polanco is one of their most important hitters. He's hurt now. They're missing Kirilov, Larnick, Jeffers. Um, you know, Royce Lewis would have been nice to have around if he could have stayed right. healthy. They just, they're playing with half a lineup. And when you, you have half a lineup, you have Matt, they trade for Malley, he gets hurt. They traded for Paddock, he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even though now, now they've added some quality to the back of the bullpen, you know, they're playing with half a lineup and their current starters, other than maybe Sonny Gray, you really can't count on for more than four or five innings. It just, none of these things are trending in the right direction. No, they're, they're not. Um, and we're, we're back to almost like Ryan and Gray and TBA for, for the, for the rotation again. Um, something that the twins have worked hard to avoid. Um, Bailey, Bailey Elber supposed to be a rotation stalwart. Josh Weiner looked like he was going to contribute as, as a rookie. Um, those guys, Jorge Alcala was supposed to be a key member of the bullpen. I, I just, uh, you know, we've they've gotten they've gotten about as much as they can get out of Gilberto Celestino and Nick Gordon, you know, as fill-ins. And they've done an admirable job. You know, I didn't think Celestino was gonna be much at the play, but he's been functional at times. You know, two forty seven for a bench player in major league baseball is not bad. You know, Nick Gordon's been you know a mini revelation back two seventy five. Um uh, it, as much as as bad as it looks now. And I hate talking about wait till next year, but I still like how this roster is going to fall in place, you know, in 2023 with the healthy pitchers coming back and these young guys with another a year of experience. I, I, I like where I still like the direction the program's headed, but there's no tangible proof right now that they're that this is working uh, just based on a recent play. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think Miranda's been fantastic. Gordon yep. has been excellent uh, and is way overachieved in my mind. But here, and here's where the Twins are. They started the year with Nick Gordon as a utility player. He elevated himself to super utility. But he shouldn't be batting cleanup in Yankee Stadium in a pennant race. No, For, no matter how much we all love him and, and admire what he's done this year, he should not be batting cleanup in Yankee Stadium in a pennant race. No, no, they shouldn't be. But that's where the Twins are at. You look at you look at their game notes and see how fat the uh, the injury report is. It's unbelievable. Um, and they've overhauled their 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 training staff. They've got new trainers. They've got a director of of player performance now that they're paying a, a nice chunk of change for. Um, they've tried to look at this scientifically. You know, Rocco, rest and recovery. Try not to run guys into the ground. Um, to a fault, he still remains careful with pitchers. I think that he should have given, given Varlin a chance to get through the sixth inning yesterday instead of activating that bullpen, which, you know, is running on fumes. Um, 
it just uh, it seems like there's a confluence of things now just hitting the twins at once, and uh, they're just unable to you know stop this breach, man. Uh, there's a there's a hole in the dike, and as soon as they think they got one part plugged, they got another leak springing up, and it's just uh, it's just tough. And they need to you know get out, try to salvage one game in New York and come home and see if they can get healthy against the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we were, and we were talking here on on Thursday morning before the Twins wrap up their series in New York and before Cleveland comes to town, uh, and let's get into that. But and, and listen, Varlam's a great story, so let's talk about him for a second here. Once again, thank you to our producer Brandon Morton, and thank you to Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins, and the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. Varlam, uh, great story. Pitches for Concordia, you know, St. Paul kid pitched for Con- Concordia, uh, really blew right past a lot of highly ranked pitching prospects in the Twins organization, debuts in Yankee Stadium in a pennant race and pitches really well, shows great composure. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't have dominant stuff, but he has good enough stuff for somebody who can command it. Uh, so what, what do you think his upside is? Is he in the rotation next year? I think he's got to be a factor. Um, I, I saw him pitch about three weeks ago for St. Paul, and I liked what I saw. He – he touched 97 on the gun, and he didn't touch it until his, the sixth inning, which I thought was really impressive. He's got a nice breaking ball, and he's got a changeup, and he's generally effective. I I thought he threw the ball very well yesterday. There were times that he got away with some pitches over the middle of the plate, but he's got enough movement, you know, where they weren't getting squared squared up. Um, it's just a great story. Him, you know, finding extra more velocity as he's gotten older and filled out some. And, uh, you know, the average fastball in Major League Baseball, I believe, is about 94 miles an hour now. So he's throwing about around 96. So he's throwing a slightly above average fastball. And that's yeah. enough. That's enough yeah. to be functional in this in, in, on this level. And, yes, he is a factor. You you plug him in. You plug him in with Kenta Maeda and Gray and 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 Ryan and a healthy Ober and a healthy Winder and and a recovering paddock. And you see how it all, all this plays out. Um once again, I I'm, I'm digging where what next year could be, at the expense of how ugly this currently looks. <laughs> yes, uh, you know I was I was just writing down potential rotation people for next year, and in no particular order: uh, Varland, Winder, Ober, Ryan, Gray, Mally, Maeda, and that was just off the top of my head. And you know, and that's seven. Pretty good starters, and then that's even before you get to people like who who end up being spot starters like Smeltzer and and maybe Dobnik when he bounces back. And we all know you need more than five starters, but that's that's seven pretty good names. You didn't even mention Paddock, so that's like ten guys. Paddock, so, yeah, and if Paddock comes back, so so there, uh, there's some depth gonna, and some quality there. Yeah, and it's going to be tricky for Paddock because the, the track record of a guy is coming back after a second time he's yep. on isn't isn't the greatest. So it's almost right. like you have to pretend he doesn't exist until he, he makes you have to notice him. So, but still, we just named ten starting pitchers. So I mean, their inventory is already set for next year. It's just like yeah, get these guys healthy, you know, um, and maybe I don't know, man. I, Bailey Ober, you know, did, did not had not thrown a hundred innings in any minor league season, mm-hmm. you know, with the Twins, and I'm wondering, you know, if that's just if that if that's who he's going to be, you know, are so many guys more suited to being long relief guys or bullpen guys? Because trying to stretch them out on starters, it's just in the way we didn't even mentioned Jordan Balazovich, you know, who's having a rough year at St. Paul, but he still is going to be around again next year. Um, I, I, 
you just you just hope that they they get a they they get a run of health here so they can see what this rotation could possibly do. Because now you got a couple of guys in Winder and Varland who are around 95, 96 miles an hour with their stuff, and now it looks like a a, a real, real rotation. And it's too bad these guys can't get healthier sooner than later. Um, it sounds like Ober and Winder could help, but maybe out of the bullpen or something like that. So uh, maybe we'll see them, but. Uh, it's going to be the, the the watch is on to see who can walk out of that uh, injury, uh, walk out of that trainer's room first and, and get back in the, into the twins playoff uh, push here uh, with Byron Buxton at the top of the list. And I haven't seen any updates about how he's doing or if he's even close. So that's troubling me um, as he tries to recover from that hip injury. Yes. Yeah, so in fact, I was just about to ask you about him. Uh, we have, you know, the original, prognosis was maybe he could join the team on this road trip. I don't, I think we all realistically believe that wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to fly out to New York. Uh, now you have to hope he can play against Cleveland this weekend. Uh, and listen, they're always a much better team with Buxton in the lineup, but with everybody else missing and no Buxton in there, man, that the lack of power is just startling for a team that set the home run record just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> That was crazy. You look at you look you look back at that year and you realize, you know, if if there was a time to make a big trade to try to push him over the top, that was the year. You're not going to have a team that's going to hit 300 or something homers again. Um, uh, and uh, you look at this current team and and its chances, and it's still there in front of them. If they didn't just get hot. It's like whoever's going to get hot over these last two weeks are going to end up winning the division. Um, you know, Cleveland's offense is hit and miss. Um, the White Sox have been a miss mess, but they're right there. I think if the Twins lose today and the White Sox win, the Twins could conceivably be in third place by the end of Thursday, um, you know, because, because of how things are happening in the Central. No team has stepped up to take control of this division. And as much as we're, you know, we're pounding on the Twins for how this doesn't look pretty and how, how they can't beat the Yankees and how everybody's beaten up and everything looks bleak and that it may be time to, you know, throw dirt and you on this team and eulogize the season. If they get, if they get hot for a week, they could take over the division still. Well, that, that's not about, and that's, that's one thing that, you know, in radio hits and on podcasts and writing, I always try to remind people is, uh, you know, people get very down on baseball teams. Anytime a baseball team struggles and what you have to rem- you have to remember the global view here, which is every baseball team slumps, every baseball team struggles. Uh, the way that the Twins perform against the Yankees is embarrassing. I'm not going to excuse that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have eight games against Cleveland coming up. They have they have games against the White Sox. They're going to finish the season against the White Sox. If they could salvage the Thursday game against the Yankees, and if they play well against Cleveland the next week or so. It is right there, and no matter it's baseball is always more about facts than feelings, and you can feel terrible about the local team. You can hate watching them play, whatever else. It doesn't mean that the math isn't going to work out for them. If you win, if they win enough games against Cleveland and Chicago, they can still win this division. Yeah, so that's why the next two weeks are huge because you've got yeah Cleveland this weekend in Kansas City, and then you're at Cleveland for that five game showdown series uh, that could possibly tell the tale of the season. You know, because we all know that uh, Cleveland, Cleveland's got six games with the Worlds at the end of the year. So, um, if the Twins can, you know, beat up Cleveland on the eight games, five, six, seven, yeah, on the eight games they're about to play over the next two weeks, you know, then that just the outlook on this team can 
be vastly different. And if anybody can, you know, get healthy enough to contribute, you know, that'll be a shot in the arm. Um, so uh, it's still still going to be a lot of intrigue. You know, I got to cover Saturday's game against Cleveland because uh, we're, we're shorthanded. And uh, it should be very interesting to see, you know, how they respond because this is a team that's uh, that they struggled against earlier in the year. This is a team they've lost. I think they're one in five against the one-run games against Cleveland. And with Amelia Pagan, front and center on all five of those uh, losses. So if you could keep Pagan in the bullpen, do not pitch Pagan against the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> And you are, your chances of winning are greatly increased. Okay, so let's just keep Pagan under wraps and uh, just keep him away from anything in a Cleveland uniform this weekend. It's still mind-boggling to me that Pagan can have what looks to me like good stuff and just get hammered uh, persistently. Listen, he got through an inning against the Yankees on, on Wednesday, so maybe today isn't the right day to pick on him, but I still don't get it. I talked to a couple people with the Twins organization, and they said, listen, you know his stuff should play in the major leagues, and yes. they are feverishly trying to figure out why his pitches are so hittable when, to the naked eye, they look you know, difficult to hit. He just added that split finger pitch this year. He usually used another off-speed pitch, but he's tried to incorporate that splitter. I don't know if it's working. You know, I I don't know if it's if it's if it's too similar to his fastball, and it's allowing hitters to to uh, still get good good swings against it. So um, it's got to be pitch usage and sequence that's holding him back, and and maybe something that needs to be corrected next year in spring training. You know, after or during the offseason. Um, right now, you have to hi- you have to hide him in the bullpen, you know. And sometimes it's it's inevitable. I mean, before the first game of the Yankee series, I'm looking at the 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 bullpen chart. I'm looking at who has thrown how many pitches over the last five days. I'm sitting there looking at blank spots next to Pagan, going, "God, they're going to use Emilio Pagan in Yankee Stadium today." And I think, yeah, sure enough, he came in and gave up a home run to kind of Fala- Falafa, whoever his last name is, and. Um, it's just it's just one of those years where it's not working. I but I hold on to him. I try to get him fixed. The arms too live, and plus from the twins' point of view too, then they have nothing to show for trading Rogers if they if they ditch Pagan because Paddock is out with Tommy John, and uh, they would jettison Pagan. It's just going to look like another you know bad trade. So hide him for the rest of the year. Try to use him as sparingly as possible. And you know Rocco's going to have to. He's going to have to um, maybe give these starters a longer leash and stop activating the bullpen so quickly. Um, and so you can avoid having these moments where you have no choice but to throw Pagan because he's the only healthy arm, and uh, that can you know lead to disaster. Two more topics for today. Once again, thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com, and thanks for listening to Chin Music with Lavelle Neal and Roy Smalley. Roy will be back soon. Uh, two more topics, both on really good hitters. Uh, the first, uh, my favorite moment of the week, other than maybe Varlin's start, was a photo of Jose Miranda and Juan Le- Min- <laughs> Lin- his cousin. Why am I? I'm, I'm a big Hamilton fan. Why did I just blank Lynn Manuel Miranda? For some reason, yes. I could not get that out. I uh, saw that picture. I, yeah, I, I'm a big Hamilton fan. My wife's favorite thing in the world is Hamilton. Uh, and, you know, I, I asked Jose one time, hey, do you ever have you seen Hamilton? He said, no, uh, you know, I've meant to, just haven't gotten around to it. Jose, go see Hamilton, man. I know a guy who can get you tickets. Uh, so really cool that those guys, those guys got together. Because listen, I'm, a, you know, I love I love Lynn uh, and Jose. Not only is he a tremendous young hitter, 
who I think is going to have a, a, a tremendous career. But he's also a really cool guy. You know, it's, it's really fun to see those two guys get together. Yeah, um, I saw that photo, and I believe Corey Provost, the radio announcer, the, the, the game that was rained out in New York, I think he went to go see Hamilton. He took a picture Good. Uh, of him entering the movie theater. So um, I think that's a great way to spend a rainy day. I tell you what, there's no better place to – be stuck in when your game is rained out on an expense report than, than New York. So <laughs> you can always find something to do or something really interesting to eat. So, um, you know, you take advantage of those situations because they, they don't come very often. I still oh, remember, I Jim, Jim, I'm, yep, you remember this. Um, we were planning our postseason coverage and I got sent to New York to pick up stories on the Yankees because we thought the Twins were going to face the Yankees in the first round of the postseason. Uh, and the, the Twins, that was when the Twins were like won a division on the last day of the season yeah. uh, because I, th- I think the Royals were playing Detroit, I think, yep. and they whooped up on Detroit, and the Twins finished first. I think they ended up playing – I can't remember what they ended up facing in the first round, but it wasn't the Yankees. So I basically spent a weekend in New York uh, on an expense account and didn't come back with any stories because we didn't, they didn't play the Yankees. Uh, I really enjoyed that weekend. <laughs> I don't think the Star Tribune has recovered financially from that weekend either. Yeah, you're probably right about that. <laughs> so, a uh, quick New York story. Uh, I'm on the beat. I'm I fly into New York on a Sunday night after a Twins home game, uh, and I, you know, check in at the Marriott Marquis downtown. For some reason, I was able to get a rate there, and I pop over to Carmine's, have a late dinner. Uh, there's a a skinny guy in a beautiful suit and a big kind of fat sloppy guy standing next to him mm-hmm. and they're they're talking 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 and i'm sitting there at the bar eating alone they end up leaning out ask me a question we end up in a conversation and they they go hey uh go by such and such theater tomorrow night we'll get you into phantom of the opera this is when phantom of the opera is like the most popular show on broadway it's like and i thought they were kind of scamming me mm-hmm. uh it turned out like one of them was the stage manager the other was like the business manager for the show uh, you know, a twins employee who was a friend of mine. I brought him along. We end up and they end up putting us front, second row, middle, giving us a tour of behind the stage. I did nothing for these guys. They just ended up in a conversation with them. And I even told them, "Hey, I'll get you some twins tickets as repayment." They're like, "Nah, we're good." Uh, wow! So they gave me a tour of behind the stage at Fan of the Opera. And the, the most fascinating thing about the whole thing was seeing ha- these massive floats that came across the stage folded up into like about six inches of, of wood and were, uh, you know, basically brought up into the ceiling because there's no storage in these places. So just fascinating, but it's kind of a classic. And the reason I tell that story is, and I know people think New Yorkers are tough and rude and whatever New Yorkers, once you get past like the initial brusqueness will do anything for you. I agree. I've had some friends who uh, have gone on road trips, twins road trips to New York and Boston and he said um, the Boston fans wanted to beat him up. Yep. And the Yankee fans were buying him beers and singing songs and, and talking to him about their club. You know, yep. um, you know my st- my story about New York is that you just never know who's going to be at Yankee Stadium that uh, on a, any given day. There was a Sunday uh, getaway day. And I'm for some reason, I went over to the Yankee clubhouse to, for something. I can't remember why. And I walk into the clubhouse. There's Reggie Jackson and Spike Lee. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's you know, great. Like, holy moly, Spike Lee's in the clubhouse. You know, they were making some announcement or there was something going on with those two. So I come out of the Yankee clubhouse. You know, I'm, I'm kind of starstruck, you know, because, uh, you know, I saw one of the great sluggers in baseball history and 
uh, iconic movie director. So now I'm walking out of the Yankee clubhouse. I'm headed toward the Twins clubhouse. And this was the year that Molitor was a coach on the team. So I'm walking toward the Twins Visitors Clubhouse in Yankee Stadium. There is Bruce Springsteen and his son outside the Twins entrance talking to Molitor because Bruce wanted to introduce his son to Molitor. And so in a span of like 20 minutes, I saw Spike Lee, Reggie Jackson, and Bruce Springsteen. And I was my mind was just blown. <laughs> yeah, in my experience, I've seen a bunch of celebrities in the in the elevator that you take to get up to the press box. I've just seen, you know, every every Jay-Z, whatever. I've seen just a million celebrities in that in that elevator going up and down. Reminds me of an old <laughs> I, I don't know if I should tell us, but I'll tell it. So I'm uh once again, I'm covering the twins, I'm covering Molitor in Milwaukee, right? And the old crappy uh, clubhouse at, at Milwaukee County Stadium. I'm talking to Molitor lo- pretty late after a game, and the clubhouse guy comes over and says, hey, uh, hey Bruce, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, hey, Paul, uh, uh, there's a, a like a music star outside, and 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 Molitor's uh, eyes raise up, and he goes, well, who is it? He goes, uh, Huey Lewis, he'd like to say hello to you, and, and Molitor looks at me and he goes, damn it, I wish he'd said Springsteen. <laughs> Okay, Mr. Picky. <laughs> Huey Lewis. God, that's like part of the soundtrack of my college life. That his that album Sports came out my freshman year in Illinois, and they dominated up the charts that year. I would have loved to have met Huey Lewis in the news. So last last topic, and we'll be quick on this. Aaron Judge. I've seen some statistical analyses of his season. And what's really interesting is when you compare him to like Babe Ruth and and Roger Maris and all the other great Yankee home run hitters. You can make a case that what Aaron Judge is doing is more difficult because he's facing, you know, it's like somebody pointed out that that Babe Ruth, you know, constantly was facing people three and four times, you know, and right. Tony Olivo always said, hey, if I see a pitcher three or four times in one game, I'm going to get him. Uh, they didn't face specialty relievers. They didn't have to travel much. They didn't face black pitchers. They didn't face pitchers from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. Uh, they didn't face, you know, great setup men. They didn't face that many dominant closers. Uh, right. So you really can make a case that uh, what Aaron Judge is doing here is is remarkable and and historic. Travel was totally different too. Yeah. Um, uh, Babe didn't have to travel as much as uh, Judge did, you know, because uh, baseball wasn't big on the on the on the West Coast yet, you know. Right. Um. So you add that factor in. Um, yeah, yeah. You you think about the number of pitchers that uh, Judge probably faces three different pitchers a, a game now, and that's not easy, you know. Um, and um, you know, we saw how uh, we saw how what he's done against the Twins so far this week. It's a hell of a year, uh, a hell of a season, and it looks like he's going to catch Maris. Um, and the Yankees, I tell you what, the Yankees would be in a deep doo doo if they didn't have uh, Aaron Judge this year because a lot of lineup is not hitting. You know, Aaron Hicks isn't hitting. Um, like John Carlos Stanton keeps getting injured. Uh, they, they uh, they've not gotten much traction for some other guys. So uh, it's really it's really quite a season. And it you can unless you can you can argue that this is more impressive than what Babe did in the twenties and thirties. No doubt about it. We'll debate the MVP race, which is really interesting this year on later shows. For today, thanks for listening to Chin Music. Thanks to Lavelle. Thanks to Brandon. And we'll talk to you next week.